Hey, this is Chris McGowan has a podcast two. Uh, this is uh, the third episode, and uh, today improv is the suggestion. <laughs> See what I did there? Sorry. Um, improv is a big part of my life, so I thought I would tell you about a horror story of improv for me. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to give you a little bit of background on what the heck improv is, because you probably all two listeners out there know what improv is. However, in 30 years, when uh, they find these, uh, you know, from my Academy acceptance montage, and it's just a, a you know a black title card with white text says. Chris McGowan has a podcast too, 2015, and they just play clips. You know, I, I want to be sure those in the audience know what we're talking about. So, when I say improv, improv can mean many things. When I'm referring to it, I'm referring to theater improvised plays or comedy, which you might find at the UCB or Second City or I.O. or The Pit or The Magnet or out here in L.A., we have the Groundlings. We have UCBLA, I.O. West, etc., etc. The Nerdist is a new player. So that that's the improv I'm talking about. But improv can mean, you know, there's improv music, Im- improvised jazz. You know, a stand-up comic might improvise riff, as they uh, cutely refer to it as. Um, actors will improvise lines, which is the same thing as what I do, but they just think it's different um you know uh you know macgyver was an improviser you know improv is anything that you're making it up in the moment without a lot of preparation so that's improv what i'm talking about is improv uh that you go to a theater and you maybe pay some money and you see some people run up on stage and and uh, do bits for a half hour and one thing you as an audience member should know is that improvisers in this comedy theater arena very rarely get paid. We are doing this for free. And that's not a complaint. That's a whole other topic. But it's all done just for the heck of it. It's quite a... Well, I won't get into that. That's a can of worms. So you may say, Chris, why do people do this improv thing? I mean, if you're a jazz musician... You're doing a gig and doing some improv, right? Or if you're on set, you're you're a working actor or actress, and you're on a TV show, and the director says, "Go ahead and give me, um, you know, improvise a few extra lines." That clearly is helpful. But what's helpful about going to a theater on a Saturday night uh, at ten or eleven p.m. and doing a show for twenty people? You might say, "Well, there is an artistry." Uh, to it. It's kind of like uh, any other art form, I guess. Uh, We're doing it because it's how some of us express ourselves. For others, uh, it's a way to be sharp comedically. Uh, The only other thing I can think of that would be comparable would be to be doing stand-up, you know, uh, at an open mic or just doing a set to to work out material. In, in, In a way, doing improv can sharpen your uh, comedic senses. You know, if you are um, writing something or you are a working actor or actress or you're uh, just doing whatever, I think improv keeps that skill sharp. 
And also, it's fun. It's, it's fun to do a show with friends, make them laugh, make yourself laugh, watch shows that are funny, and to be in a room with other people just enjoying this thing. It, it's very, uh, it can be very special. As teachers told me when I was taking classes, there's something about the fact that improv happens in this live theater setting that makes it unique and special. The 20 people in that room are experiencing something, 20, 40, 80, 180. They're all experiencing something in this moment with you that's not on a DVD, it's not live streaming. Uh, well, some are now, but for the most part, it's a live experience. You're, 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 you're with these people and this thing is happening in the moment. There's something electric about that. You know, I did a show a few weeks back and this team called Jetso, who, if you're in Los Angeles and you're in the improv community, you are probably aware of Jetso. It's a two person team and they have a third person who's on guitar. And let me tell you, the theater probably had 25, 30 people in there. And I'm going to remember that show probably for the rest of my life. It was funny. It was interesting. A little <laughs> a little dangerous at points in a great way. And even if I were to tell you what happened, it, you may be like, oh, oh, this doesn't sound funny at all. But being there with the audience reacting to this stuff that they're making up as they go along is magical it is so that's the cult of improv if i dare call it a cult it's something that once you get into it and you and you either perform it or you watch it or both you get addicted so that's all that backstory and before i get to my horror story let me give you two other pieces of setup information one is there's a legendary well, i'm going to call him legendary uh, teacher of improv, Craig Kukowski. He's a Chicago alum. He did Second City Chicago, uh, IO Chicago, many other things. You probably see him on TV nowadays on Community, and I believe he does stuff for the Drunk History Show, amongst many other things. Thrilling Adventure Hour for you fellow podcast fans. And he often says, he, he quoted the uh, paraphrase that Malcolm Gladwell uh, quote, you know, to be an expert at something, you have to in 10,000 hours, and I'm going to give him credit for this quote, or I'm going to paraphrase his quote, which is a paraphrase of that quote, which is, you have to do basically 10,000 different mistakes on stage. Many schools will teach you slightly different techniques on improv, but the greatest way to learn how to improvise, which is a lot like everything else, like sports, I would say, I'm sure there's a uh, Acting parallels, clearly. I'm sure there's a lot of parallels. The best way to learn is to make a mistake in front of a paying audience. Heck, even a free audience. In front of anybody. To make that mistake each and every single one so that you learn it. So improv is built on failure and mistakes. And I mean that in a great way. Uh, Some of the best moments in improv comes when you know, uh, if you've taken a class, you've heard this a million times, but a show is built upon someone falling off the stage and the rest of the team working that into the show so that everyone falls off the stage at some point in the show. I don't know if I did that right, but... So mistakes are built into the DNA of the show, okay? Now, 
put that all in 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 your in your memory banks. So, so that is to say, me, Chris McGowan, has made many mistakes on stage, and I still do. I might, on you know, talk over somebody when I shouldn't have. Maybe entered a scene when I shouldn't have. Um, those mistakes are always being made, and hopefully, me and everyone else are learning from those mistakes. Now, separate from all that, uh, usually improv is a group of people just doing a show, made-up scenes on the spot, right? But as anyone in the cult will talk about or, or, or be honest about, improv should be evolving. It should be, well, I guess not everybody, but there's definitely people who are of the opinion that this is theater and that we should be expanding what it is that people are coming out to see. I happen to do a show uh, that does uh, an improvised television show, and big surprise, it's called, it's about, uh, it's based on the TV show Doctor Who. Um, so basically what we do is we'll get a suggestion of a title of an episode, and we'll make up a 45-minute episode of a TV show. And we're not the first people to do an improvised TV show show. I've heard of improvised Star Trek, improvised Law and Order, improvised Insert Your Playwright. There's an improvised Harry Potter show. So this isn't wholly unique, although I still think we're one of the few improvised Doctor Who shows. Okay, so there's that. About, here's the story now. So (laughs) all that setup. Two years ago, I guess it would be two years ago, we get to do, as this improvised Doctor Who show, we get to do some rather less-than-conventional shows. Most improv shows happen in improv theaters. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting that I just thought about that. Rarely do you see an improv show in what would be considered a traditional play theater. Usually the theaters are built around seven weeks, seven weeks, seven days, a week worth of improv shows. Anyway, so doing a Doctor Who show, we get to do unusual things, and one of them being conventions. This is a nerdy podcast. I'm a nerdy person, so let me tell you when I say um, I'm not even that well-versed in conventions, but conventions is a way of life uh, for us nerds. has been for a while and will always be. The name of this particular convention is unnecessary to the story, and I don't want it to paint a bad light on the convention itself because it's not the convention's fault what happened so as i said this particular show we get a suggestion uh to build a title of an episode uh that we're going to make up you know it might be might get a noun and and a verb someone might say uh, can we get a suggestion for a noun someone might say horse and then and they'll say okay can we get a suggestion of a verb running and then the person who is introducing the show will say, Great, thank you. Uh, we present, for the first and last time, the case of the running horse. You know, and that's, and that's the show. So, one other bit of information before we get to this. I am a mega Doctor Who uh, nerd. I am a completist. I Once there's a, a source or a thing of information that exists in the world and I'm interested... I want to devour it and master it. So, ergo, I have consumed as much as I can and continue to do so in the Doctor Who universe. It is vast, as any of you out there uh, who are fans as well know. So there's a lot to absorb. 
if this were you know a four-year program of Doctor Who studies, I'd probably be a junior uh, right now. You know, I'm not quite graduated, but I'm definitely advanced in my studies. So here we are. We're doing this show at a convention with people who do know the show, some probably better than me, and we get a suggestion, and, and, and the person who introduces the show says, can I get a noun? And there's a, a person, a man. I never knew his name. But, but he sat right in the front, and he shouted, Wibbly Lever. I'll repeat that again for my podcast listening audience. Wibbly Lever. Great. Now, the person introducing the show uh, has a little more self-esteem than I do. And he said, he said, great. Like, I forget exactly what he said, but he's something like, all right, that's, that's kind of unusual. And this gentleman said, well, you're clearly, this, this, isn't, this isn't like a, a conversation. But this person felt the need to respond and say, well, clearly you don't know your Doctor Who. And he meant it in all sincerity. He, he was already calling out <laughs> the person introducing our show. Again, the person introducing the show has good uh, handling on his self-worth and just kind of laughed. And the crowd helped him by going, ooh. But already, and this is, this, is a, this is a Chris thing, but already I want to win this person over. Already he feels like he's already judged the show. Now, I know that's not my fault, but already in his mind, we don't know what Doctor Who is. This is going to suck, so this is bullshit, and why am I, what am I doing here? It should also be noted that I realize... In the world of uh, nerd, dumb, and convention etiquette, people get up and leave all the time. That is just a thing you do. You know, you might be in a panel at, at Comic-Con. I don't know what, where these people are going, but people all the time will just get up and leave. I mean, that, that's, just, that's just what people do. What's interesting is that in the improv world, say a play or you know if you're if you're at a play and you get up to leave the play that means you have an issue with the play if you're in a movie if people get up and leave a movie you have an issue with the movie same is true for an improv show if you get up and leave it's kind of not cool Uh, a lot of teams will share an hour and it's proper etiquette if you are performing in that hour that you watch and sit in the audience and 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 support Likewise, if you bring a couple of your uh, friends with, they should stay as well. That's just polite. It's not required, but it's definitely noticed when you get up and leave. So, back to our story. Wibbly Lever, you don't know what you're talking about. Laughter, ooh. Now, in our show, one person it rotates who gets to play the Doctor, which is the time traveler, the time lord, uh, who travels through time and space. It just so happens that I am the doctor for this show. And I, as a person, enjoy leaving the stage. To pause again, I was taught a long time ago, I believe it might have been Lloyd Alquist, who you may know uh, as part of the epic rap battles in history, uh, Epic Lloyd. I believe he was the one that told me this. Although it might have been an, uh, either Aaron Krebs or Eric Honeycutt, or maybe all three at one point. These are all improv teachers uh, and acting teachers in and around Los Angeles, originally from Chicago. And basically the piece of advice is, 
that stage is not the only part of your play space. The entire room that we are in is part of your play space. And the second I heard that, eight, nine years ago, it's been in my mind ever since. I enjoy that a lot. Okay. So very early in this show, back to the convention, Wibbly Lever guy is in the front row. <laughs> uh, I hop down off the stage, and I am standing there in front of him doing my thing. I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm in the heat of the show, but he is, he is right there. And as I am performing and doing what I do, he quite noticeably <laughs> stands up and leaves the room. And while I am in, I am in the show, uh, it's clear that he did that, and he left. And that happened two years ago, and I still think about it. Now, you may say to yourself, why in the fuck do you care about what some uh, nerd guy did who clearly thought he was already above this show to begin with? Why, why do you care about that? I mean, there's a whole room of people that you had to do a show for, and it, it was all right. It, was, it turned out fine. Why does that stick in your craw? Ever since I can remember, um, I have had low self-esteem. I've had uh, low self-confidence. And, you know, I don't know if this is really the uh, podcast to get into psychoanalyzing myself, but it's something I've always struggled with. Feeling inadequate, feeling less than, always feeling uh, behind, feeling alone, lonely, um, awkward, introverted, uh, uh, different from everyone else. That's something I've always had and something, and something I've always had to fight against. When I discovered, uh, improv in 2006, it changed, it changed my life. Really? That never goes away. And, and even, even today after a show, while it may sound, I don't know, conceited or, or um, self-absorbed or uh, uh, selfish, I do beat myself up over moves or mistakes that I did make. And I will tend to forget about the successes, the victories. Um, and I instead think about what I did wrong, which, which is something, unfortunately, that's something I, I will always have to fight against. When I discovered improv and started taking classes, I'm not sure this solves it, but the art form, this thing that we do for free, <laughs> which I don't know why that's now attached to this, but this, this thing that's not done because it's my job, all right? I'm doing this for the reason in and of itself. It requires to forget that stuff. Now, again, this isn't me overcoming my demons. It's kind of a, a sidestep, but it's still effective. In order to be effective on stage, I can have low self-esteem, and I can have low self-confidence. Even if after the show I'm yelling and screaming at myself saying I'm a terrible person, in order for the show to be successful, I have to lose that for the time being and be present in the show, or else it's not going to work. and I'm not going to be effective on stage. It's just not going to happen. And that was a mistake I learned. Whew. Man, it took me a while to learn that one, actually. Uh, and that's unfortunate. I went through many years of feeling terrible after every single show and struggling to feel like this is worth my time. And I still think about it all the time. 
but particularly when I was first starting out, it was bad. The point is, Wibbly Lever is still in my brain. That, that, that guy that got up and left. Again, there's so many other things involved in that, but the fact that I can remember the feeling I was feeling when I let someone down. You know, and that taps into all those self-doubts and self-criticisms. All this happens in the split second while the show itself, uh, as a doctor, we're playing some sort of battleship game, and there's uh, 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 (laughs) some sort of game world we're on, and there's all sorts of stuff happening. But that sticks in in my in my craw, disappointing somebody. You know, I uh, we did a show at uh, Kamikaze, which is a Stanley convention that happens in Los Angeles. This was the first one we did in 2013, I believe. And again, this is terrible, but the entire audience was enjoying themselves. And you can tell if they're laughing and whatnot. And yet, I saw in the very back row a guy sitting there with his arms crossed, stone-faced. Now, I don't know what was going on with him, clearly. He could have, you know, just gotten a car accident on his way to the show. Maybe he thought this was a panel about Doctor Who. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he really just didn't like me. I don't know, but I saw that, and I was like, i got to win that person over. You know, I've done that many times, and that's really not helpful. Man, this is getting real. I I like to think that even if I'm experiencing that in a show, it doesn't really affect my performance. I, I guess every improviser who is on stage can use the audience's reaction as a barometer for what's working. I mean, I've been taught that before. And at the same time, I've heard advice, which I think is equally as valid and probably better. We're doing this for ourselves. We're, uh, we're, if I'm on stage, I shouldn't be caring about what's happening in the audience. In, in, as, as, as weird as that sounds, I should just be in the moment with this person who's on stage with me. And I think I do that. But I will always remember Wibbly Lever. I will always remember guys with arms crossed. You know, e- even if I'm watching a show, I if I let myself, I can pick out the person who is sitting there not dialed in. And I don't know what that is. That could be a desire to please everybody, which is, you know, something that's in my DNA, I think, with the self-esteem and, and the, the other things about myself. It could be that I want this person to feel what I feel and the transformative effects of improv as it's happened to me, and I want, to, and I want them to have that same experience. It could be that even, even though that we are not paid performers, these people are still coming to a show expecting to be entertained, and I don't want to let them down, feeling like they wasted their time. I guess the whole point of the story is that if you happen to be in an audience at an improv show, and you hate it. If you do sneak out, and you're, it's well within your right to do so, try to do it in a sly way. <laughs> or you will be talked about anonymous, anonymously on a podcast two years from now. So that's not all I have to say about improv. I'm sure I'll talk about um, other things. Maybe my experiences in it. Maybe my philosophy. What works, what doesn't work. LA improv scene, boy, that's a, that's a landmine of a topic. Um, but yeah, 
That is Wibbly Lever. I think I'm out of time. That's almost a half hour, right? You can uh, send me uh, any feedback or questions at chrismcgowanet at gmail.com. Two ends there. chrismcgowanet at gmail.com. And as you know, with Gmail, you can put the period wherever you want. I mean, you can put the period after every letter and it still gets to me. Or, or you can tweet at me at Magoogs, M-A-G-O-O-G-S. This thing is on Podbean. And I'm sure I have some sort of way to uh, get feedback on there. But I have no idea how that works. I, my uh, website is a Tumblr blog. And I think you can ask me questions on there. I have never gotten a question and I don't think I'm going to get any. But if you know how to do that, and you can tell me how to do that, send it there too. And lastly, uh, I'll try to do more. I, I have a plan to do a podcast about each of the librarians' movies, one at a time, and just give you, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes about each one, and then go into season one of Librarians so that you can be caught up and ready to go for season two. I think... I might tell more stories. I might even read an essay or two. I might try other things on this thing. I might do more produced stuff. I don't know. I'm just kind of winging this. At least I'm recording. All right. Laters. Laters.